We have spent the last four weeks, the whole month of December, anticipating the arrival of Christmas, anticipating the arrival of the light. We've talked about how the light guides us in the darkness. We spent a week talking about how the light exposes the darkness within us and brings healing and new life, new dawn to that darkness. The light shows us the way on our path. The light has come. And this has been one of my favorite series that we've done in the eight years that I've been at Orchard Hill. But Christmas is over. It's crazy to say that already, isn't it? It went by like that. Christmas is over. December is almost up. The decade is almost up. And the light has come. So what now? We have celebrated the coming of the light, both seasonally, as we do each Christmas, the light has come, but in time and in history, the light has come and the light has ascended. And so we are here, changed by the light, impacted by the light, and at the end of another Christmas, if we're honest, perhaps left wondering, what's next? And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 2, if you would. If you want to use one of the Bibles in your pews, you can find it on page 1591. Luke 2, and we will start in verse 8. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. And there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So do you know what's next? Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Laura, that's the Christmas story we've been reading for like four weeks. That doesn't help me at all. <laughs> but I think when we look inside the Christmas story, especially when we look at the perspective of the humble shepherds, God is clear to us what comes next when the light has come. The shepherds are told by the angels they are approached by heavenly light, brighter than any of us have probably ever seen. 
And they are told the truth that the Messiah is being born this day in the city of David. And what do the shepherds do in response? Not a rhetorical question. We're going to get some chatter going this morning. What do the shepherds do in response when they hear the angel's declaration? They bow down and they worship. They worship and they? Bow down. They go. They go, right? If you, if you have a host, not just one or two, a host of heavenly angels that come to you, are you going to just take it, their word for it and just keep going on with your daily life? If you have an intervention from heaven, you're probably going to act upon that intervention, right? So the shepherds, humble and lowly shepherds though they may be, they know enough to respond when heaven opens for them. They go and they see. They see the truth. They have experienced heaven open and they have experienced heaven come to them. And their response is simple, brothers and sisters. They open their mouths and they tell what they have seen and what they have been told. They have been impacted by the light. They have been changed irrevocably. They have seen heaven. They have experienced God made flesh with them. And the response is to go and tell Look at verse 17. It says, When they had seen him, the shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all that heard it were amazed. That's our next step, brothers and sisters. If you have come and you have seen the light, light up your darkness, the response is simple. Go and tell come and see, go and tell. It's not that hard. I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. And then it says they went away worshiping and glorifying God. For those of us that have been impacted by the light, who have experienced true Christmas in our lives, our response is simple. Go and tell, and as you do, glorify God doing it. This is the expectation in the angel's original message. Look at verse 10. The angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be... Good news of great joy that will be for who? All All people. The message wasn't just to be kept in the field with the shepherds. The message wasn't just to be kept by the expectant mother and father who had been told the truth. Can you imagine if those two pockets of people... (laughs) had kept that news to themselves where we would be today. Crazy, though many may have thought them to be, they knew that the news was not just for them. It wasn't just for Mary and Joseph, for the shepherds, for the people impacted directly by Jesus' life, for those that stood at the foot of the cross and at the entrance to the empty tomb. It was for much more than that. And it was much more than for those of us that are sitting in the pews here today. They took to heart when the angel said, good news of great joy that will be for all people. When you have experienced the light come, your response is to go and tell, glorifying God as you do. When we glorify something, it means to shine light on something, to point to to something bigger than you, 
That's what the angels are meaning. Think of a trophy case, right? If you've won, if you are the world's strongest man and they give you a trophy for that or whatever they give you for that, you're probably not going to put that inside your desk drawer and say, good job, self. You're probably going to put that in a case somewhere. Orchard Hill used to have a big old trophy case with lots of lights, lots of trophies. These are focal things that you put up. But we're a church. We want to be humble, so we took them all down. <laughs> but this is something that you do when you want to glorify something. You put it on a pedestal and you let it shine. That's what the shepherds did. And that's the expectation of all who have come to know the light. And that is what Jesus expected of his followers. Let's look at his words in Matthew 5. We're going to go back to scripture. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles again. You can find Matthew 5 on page 1501 of the Bibles in your pews. Jesus' expectation is that we would shine a light on him as well. Chapter 5, starting in verse 14. These probably aren't new verses for you, but my prayer is that they would hit your heart in a new way today. Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. People of God, the light of the world himself has appointed you to be the light to the world. He has called you by name, and he calls you the light of the world. Turn to someone sitting next to you and tell them that they are the light of the world. Maybe try it with some joy. Let's try it with some joy. <laughs> the overwhelming of, you are the light of the world, that <laughs> just came up here. You are the light of the world, brothers and sisters. It's true. Now, some of us may be confused by this idea. I understand that. I've been there. Because we spent the last four weeks telling you who was the light of the world. Jesus. And now today, we're telling you something different. <laughs> true and true. Jesus is the light of the world. But Jesus has promised us something. When that light ascended into heaven, he promised to give us a deposit of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go because you will have the spirit of life and of light inside of you. So brothers and sisters, if you have experienced true Christmas in your life and you have been impacted by the light of Jesus Christ and your darkness has been lit up, it's not just the darkness that has been lit up, it is the, your very soul that contains that light of life now through the Holy Spirit. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You contain God in yourself if you have the Holy Spirit. So you are the light of the world. We see this example really clearly in Exodus 34. I love this example. You don't need to turn there. It's okay. Moses is going up to Mount Sinai. 
God has some instructions for him and his people. And so Moses meets with God to receive instruction and to bring it back to God's people. This was a custom for God and Moses. They often met in what they called the tent of meeting outside the camp. And so Moses goes up to the mountain and receives instruction from God. And when he comes back down, what do the people see? Moses' face is glowing. The people are afraid. Moses actually, now after this time, Moses begins to wear a veil over his face because the people are so overwhelmed by the glory of the light of the Lord shining from him. God's word says he would meet with God face to face like we talk to a friend. It was clear to the world, to the Israelites, that God was real and the light was with them because of how it shone from Moses' face when he would come down the mountain. Do you shine like that, brothers and sisters? Because you are the light of the world. You have that same light manifested inside you that Moses had from being with the Lord face to face. When the world looks at you, are they overwhelmed by the radiance that shines from you? Because God says you are the light of the world. Not you should be the light of the world. Not you'll get there someday, brothers and sisters. And not try really hard and over time you will start to glow a little bit. You are the light of the world. That is who you are as the nature of a Christian with the spirit living inside of them. And I have to take a moment and pause. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't. What does it say about us if we don't shine like that? That is a reason to take a moment and think again. It is the nature of who we are. We should be standing out like this. I love that picture. We should be standing out like this to the world. Something should be markedly different about those of us who know the light. God tells us that. Look at verse 14 in Matthew. What does Jesus say? He says, a city on a hill cannot be, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is on the side, well, we say the mountain, but it's really more like a hill. Jesus is on the side of the Sea of Galilee, on the side of a hill. And he is talking to tons of people that have come to hear the Sermon on the Mount in these verses. And Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Across the Sea of Galilee from where Jesus sat was the city of Tiberias, known then as Hippus, but you might know it better as Tiberias. This is what they would have seen at night from across the Sea of Galilee. A city on a hill. Tiberias was a huge city, lit up at night. People could see it for miles and miles and miles. A city on a hill cannot and will not be hidden. That is the kind of light Jesus is giving as an example to his people. You should shine in an undeniable way to the world. You are the light of the world. Do you remember the verses we've, we've quoted over and over again in this series? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deepest darkness. A new light has dawned. This is a great example of that. 
the light shining in the darkness. Brothers and sisters, those were words of prophecy from the book of Isaiah that pointed to Jesus Christ. And they found their fulfillment in Jesus. But I think those words are still finding their fulfillment over and over again today. Because this world looks a lot like the darkness around that picture. There are still so many wandering in darkness that are in desperate need of a beacon on a hill that cannot be hidden. There are still those that are waiting for the light to dawn on them, and you are that light for them. Will you shine as a city on a hill? Do you remember the darkness? Do you remember the darkness? I do. I remember my darkness. And that is not something I want to go back to, and that is not something I wish on anybody. My deepest fears, my most shameful moments, the things that I am least proud of, things I still wrestle with. I don't want anyone to be stuck in that darkness without that light. If you know that darkness and you knew that darkness, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you knew that darkness at one point. If you remember that darkness, that should spur you on to shine even brighter to those in need of a light. If you knew that darkness, you knew anxiety. You can stand up and say, I am fearless now, or I'm trying every day to be fearless because I know the Lord. Maybe you knew depression, you knew addiction, you knew crime, you knew sexual unfaithfulness. I don't know what you knew in your darkness. But if you have come to know the light of Christmas, you have something to say and you have a reason to shine. And there are plenty of people in that darkness that need to hear what you have to say and need to see your light shine. That is what Jesus Christ has called you to do, to be a city on a hill. And now you may be here saying, Pastor Laura, I get that, and I am on board. Good, good. But Pastor Laura, you don't know my office. You don't know what the people are like there. It's not like working in a church. It's dark. I've seen the way they treat the other Christians in the office that are open. If I start shining my light, if I become more vocal, if I start offering to pray for people, if I start praying before my meals and quoting scripture at people, you don't know what they're going to do to me, how they'll treat me, you might as well be putting a big target on my back for the darkness. Yes, a city on a hill is a great target. You cannot hide that light. And when you put a city lit up on a hill, it's a big open target for the enemies of God and the enemies of light. You better believe it. Miranda, do you mind handing me that, or Nate? So many of us hear this. Wendy, I'm putting this on your piano, sorry. So thanks. So many of us hear this, and we start to let fear get in our heads. We start to let our insecurities get there, and what we do is we go, maybe it's not such a great idea to be this big open target. Like in wartime, they would put their blackout curtains up, to block the light so the enemies didn't know where to bomb and all looked dark to them. And we kind of put our own blackout curtains up. 
we put a basket over our light so no one can see it because it's safer that way. Are you afraid of a fire? Many of you look like you're afraid of a fire. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we don't need to be afraid because yes, you bet that is a big old target on your back and if you are a Christian and your light is shining, promise, you've got a target, you've got the enemy coming after you. But should we be afraid? Should we be afraid? No, brothers and sisters. I think many of us say this. We say no, but we don't believe it in our hearts. No, because God's word tells us you, dear children, are from God and have overcome the enemy because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Brothers and sisters, you have the light of life living in you. That light shines in the darkness and it fights for you day in and day out. Yes, you have enemies coming against you. There will always be enemies of the light until Jesus comes back. But do you know who else faced the enemies? Jesus. Far worse enemies. Jesus faced the cross. He faced the devil himself. And he faced the enemy of the grave itself. And right when the enemies thought they had snuffed out the light for good, the empty tomb burst open and light shone brighter than it ever had. And the true victory belonged to the light. And that's not just then, that is the promise that we walk with now. That the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot, has not, and will not overcome it. That is the boldness that we shine our light with. Not with fear, not with a basket to put over our light, but boldly in the name of Jesus, the one who has already overcome the darkness for us. So shine brightly, brothers and sisters. Do what you were made to do. There are too many Christians in this world that cower in fear behind their baskets. What use is that to anyone? It does them no good, and it does a dark world no good. The light needs you to do what the verse says. You put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So jump on your stand and hold up to your light, the conversation you're in, the coffee shop you're drinking from, your office, your family, your biking circle. I don't care what it is, but you need to do what you were made to do. Put that light on a stand. Ancient houses usually had one lamp and one stand. They were one room, maybe with an open upper room connected to it. And that light provided light for the entire house. One small light can make a huge difference. Do what you were made to do and light up the darkness. One of my favorite examples of someone who did this, who lit up the darkness, in a very tangible way with his light of Jesus Christ, was a Christian named Desmond Dawes. Desmond Dawes was a medic during World War II. He was drafted by the U.S. Army, and he was labeled a conscientious objector because of his religious beliefs. Because of experiences in his life, he took the commandment, thou shalt not kill, seriously, but he believed that there was a reason to go to war. So he brought his beliefs, his Bible, and his prayers into the battlefield. But he knew it was his duty to help. And so he became a medic. And his entire career in the military, he refused to carry or fire a weapon. He was mocked, 
ruthlessly ridiculed and made very few friends for his stances, for his beliefs. He was mocked for his prayers when he would read his Bible and putting his faith in the Lord. But he served anyway. And on May 5, 1945, he went with his unit of mockers to a hill at the Battle of Okinawa, more commonly known as the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge. And with his unit, he climbed that 350-foot ridge to face the Japanese soldiers, and they were obliterated. They, they were being beaten back and back by the mortars, by the artillery, everything. And so his unit retreated. The American soldiers fled, went back down the hill, and only Doss was left. And he looked around, and he could see tens, if not over a hundred, of his soldiers, his brothers, on the field, alive but wounded. And he knew the Japanese soldiers, and he knew their tradition of leaving no man alive. He knew that if his unit retreated and left those living but injured 75, 100 men on that hill, every single one of them would be slowly picked off and killed by the Japanese soldiers. And so while every single member of his unit retreated, Doss stayed alone, weaponless. The artillery was still firing. Snipers shot at him. For 12 hours, he crawled around in the dirt, bringing medical attention to 75 injured men. And slowly, painstakingly, with the help of God alone, he dragged those 75 men to the edge of that cliff and lowered them down by hand with a rope, one by one by one. And when asked about it, Dawes said this, during those 12 hours, I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get more and more. Lord, please help me get one more until there was none left and I was the last one down. He was given the Medal of Honor by the president and is credited with saving 75 men. The president wanted it to be more like 100, but he wanted to be humble. What a way to let your light shine. This Christian man who had been mocked for his beliefs earned the respect of his brothers in arms, even though he didn't have any, <laughs> by saving the lives of 75 men when every single other person turned the other way. In their worst night, his light shone bright, and he brought physical salvation to the dying. Brothers and sisters, your mission and my mission, I argue, is more critical than that. That's a physical death. Shining our light is not about physical death. Shining our light is about spiritual death. If every Christian in the world today shared their faith with just one person, and that person came to know Jesus Christ, there would still be millions and millions and millions of people in this world right now that don't know the Lord. What if our prayer was the same as Desmond Dawes? What if instead of cowering behind our baskets and saying, God, you don't know, 
I don't have the right words to say. I'm not eloquent in speech. I, I, I can't do it. Please don't send me, God. What if instead our prayer became, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. Dawes fought for the privilege and literally prayed all 12 hours to be able to get just one more person down that hill. What if that became our prayer? Instead of being afraid, instead of feeling like it was a duty or an obligation, we prayed for the privilege and the joy and the power to be able to get just one more person to hear about the Lord. We don't save people, brothers and sisters. That's only God's work. But we do shine our light to testify to who he is and what he has done. Can that be your prayer? To say, Lord, give me just one more One of my favorite quotes from a preacher has this to say to people who are afraid to shine their light. To people who say, what if the darkness doesn't like it? What if they bully me? What if I don't know what to say to people? What if I'm publicly humiliated? What if I'm not smart enough or articulate enough? But he says, the shiny people the shiny people haven't necessarily been the smartest, the most articulate, or the most talented. They haven't had the most publicly influential platforms, but they have been the ones who find God's steadfast love better than life. They've consistently loved others in both word and in deed. Friends, we all have a basket full of reasons not to shine. We all have fears and doubts. Maybe that's why in that verse, Jesus uses the example of the basket. It was a very common item back in those days. But we don't shine because we're perfect. We don't shine because we're fearless, and we don't shine because we're the right person for the job. We shine because God is perfect, because he is fearless, and because he is the only person for the job. So whatever fears and lies the enemy is throwing at you, get them away. They're not from the Lord. You have the power of Jesus Christ, the light of the world living in you. Shine, brothers and sisters. That is who you are and that is your call. So this new year, I have two questions for you. My first question is this. Have you come and seen? Have you responded like the shepherds did? and went and seen what Jesus was, who he was, that God's word were true. Have you dug into this person of Jesus, baby or man or resurrected Christ? Have you seen his light? Have you experienced true Christmas in your life? If not, don't take one step into the new year without coming and seeing who this light is. I beg you, don't leave this place today. Afterwards, come talk to me, come forward for prayer. There's no reason not to leave here with the joy of light in your darkness. And my second question is for those of you who have come and seen. Simple. Just like the shepherds. Who will you go and tell? Where will you shine? This is who we are. Children of the light with the light of the world living in us. Don't waste your light, brothers and sisters. Throw your baskets away. Yes, this new year, make your resolutions to go to the gym more. 
to bring date night back, to be better savers, whatever you want to do, make resolutions that honor the Lord, but don't forget about the most important thing you can do in this new year. In every moment, in this new decade, throughout your life, shine as the light of the world. Father God, we thank you for being a God who loves us, a God who sees us, and a God who has given us his light to shine. We pray, Lord, that you would embolden us. Father, I pray that over every single person in the pews today, every single person watching from home, every person in Walker, God, that you would embolden us to share the light of your life with others. Help us to be a city on a hill. Make us bold and brave in this new year to do what we were made to do. Lord, give us one more. One more opportunity to share your word. One more place to shine. And one more chance to bring light into the darkness. Through your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.